Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. What works in election campaigns? Well, we're going to be finding out in this show as I'm joined by Florian Fors, Associate Professor at the London School of Economics and a pioneering expert in carrying out experiments with the cooperation of political parties to dig into what does and doesn't work in campaigning. So welcome, Florian. Mark, thanks for having me on the podcast. Let's just start with what your credentials are. So what are the sorts of experiments that you do and why do they produce results that we should, those of us who want to run better campaigns should should pay attention to? Right. So I think it would be good to start by by setting out the problem a little bit that we're trying to address mm. with the experiments that, that I'm running. If I can be a little bit controversial, I, I think most campaigns actually do not rely necessarily on sound quantitative evidence when making their decisions, especially when they evaluate what their campaign methods and and tactics, what they do is they mostly rely on experience and gut feeling mm-hmm. and on back-of-the-envelope calculations. Now, if we think about back-of-the-envelope calculations, then, you know, what campaigns often do is, you know, they, they would compare turnout or, you know, vote intentions, voter ID amongst you know, groups of people that they contact and groups of people that they do not contact for whatever reason. And those type of comparisons are are biased. And they are biased because there are a lot of reasons for why these these people are contacted in the first place, some of which might be because they are supportive of the party that initiates contact or because they have voted in previous elections before. There are multiple reasons for why these two groups might differ other than the contact, you know, the leaflet or the door knock that has been administered to that specific group. Now, that's where we come in. And what I do is I make the decision of whether to contact a group of people or not entirely dependent on a a coin flip. It's a figurative coin flip to the extent where it's a random number generator, actually, that does the work. But, you know, like, let's think about it for a second uh, in terms of a coin flip. You know, if I flip a coin and it's going to turn out heads, then we'd contact that specific household. If it turns out tails, we wouldn't. And and because it's entirely dependent on that coin flip, there can be no other reason, right? I mean, for why these two groups differ other than one group was contacted and the other group was not contacted. And that means then that we can compare outcomes, you know, turnout in the two groups or voting intentions in the two groups. And we can ascribe the difference that we find if the sample is large enough to the type of contact that we eventually administered. It's the same method that is applied to testing medication, to testing vaccines. I work with election campaigns. I've done so in five different countries with eight different parties. And we partner up for research purposes. All right, so I'm, I'm not a consultant. I'm a, I'm a researcher and I'm really interested in the science of what works in in election. So I guess to give an example that's probably particularly familiar to Lib Dem listeners, mm. I think there's a lot of correlation type evidence that the more doors you knock on the better your election results and obviously one of the weaknesses with that sort of logic is that actually a campaign that's knocking on more doors may also for example be a better campaign in doing all sorts of other things as well more of and therefore but even if the correlation is valid it might not be it's the door knocking itself but what you're doing with the experiments is is isolating in that sense just the effect of the door knock that, that, that is absolutely right. It's also true, of course, that, you know, more successful constituency kind of parties would be more likely to knock on more doors. And that, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem at that at that point. Yeah. Um, and I guess one thing that flows from trying to isolate those specific activities and getting campaigns to cooperate with experiments is, of course, if you're fighting really hard to try to win a seat or hold a seat and fear you might lose it, a researcher coming along and saying, well, could we randomly choose half of the doors not to knock on? is probably quite a hard sell. And so I think it's fair to say that in a lot of the experiments that you and others have done, when you read the, the write-ups in academic journals, the volume of what you're testing tends to be relatively low. So it'll be, you might be testing the impact of one door knock versus zero door knocks or maybe of one leaflet and a door knock versus nothing. Whilst with political campaigns, knocking a door once or delivering a leaflet once is sort of what you do to warm up almost at the beginning. So <laughs> I wonder, can you talk a little bit about that that sort of volume issue? Because I, I I think when we get on to talking about the results, that volume issue might be a question at the back of listeners' minds. Uh, absolutely. I 
I think it's a really important question to address because, you know, when we talk about conducting field experiments, which is what, which is what I do, we often talk about the authenticity of what we do, right? And, and if our treatments are not authentic to the extent where, you know, like what is happening, you know, in real campaigns is actually much different from what is happening in experiments, then what we could learn from those experiments might be quite limited. And mm. you're right uh, to assume that. On the other hand, so one thing I would say in defense of my field is that there have actually been quite a few studies that have looked at sequential treatments, that have looked at combinations of of different interventions, say Donox and telephone banking and leaflets. Uh, actually, one of the first studies on GOTV that was conducted by Glenn Gerber and Don Green in New Haven in 2000 looked at lots of different actually combinations of it was volunteer canvassing, leaflets and, and commercial phone banking. And actually, I think one of the reasons for why we have seen fewer studies kind of on the same model coming out of that is because they found that the effects of those different interventions were not multiplicative, meaning the effect of a donok was not stronger if it was preceded by a leaflet, for instance. Right? I mean, it was just additive at yeah. best. Right. And 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 so given given the, those findings that were widely kind of published, I think it has more than 800 citations at the moment. People thought that we can also just kind of look at those individual interventions and then add them up, right? I mean, like, and, and we we would kind of get to the overall impact um, of a campaign like that. Now, there have been there has been more work more recently on that on that very question, which I totally agree is is crucial. I should say on GeoTV on mobilization. Um, there is, for instance, one study by my my friend and colleague Adam Zelitzer, who is at the University of Chicago, together with with Don Green, where they looked at you know, basically sequential leafletting. So uh, they sent up to 10 leaflets to a number of yeah. uh, voters. And what they found was that up to the fifth leaflet, you know, basically the impact of that leaflet does appear to increase. Mm. But once you pass five leaflets, it's enough. I mm -hmm. guess for any individual experiment, there are a lot of factors that it's very hard to control for or factor in, aren't there? So, for example, if you're doing one about leaflets, there's a question about, well, actually, how good was the leaflet? Maybe, you know, the leaflet just used the wrong message or had a poor design or whatever. Yeah. But I think the volume of experiments that we now have are that when results are consistent across quite a few of them, we can be more confident in the results. And I guess the sort of the word of caution for campaigners looking for golden insights is to not place too much on any one individual study because of those, all of those other factors that it's very hard to control for. Is that is that a fair take, do you think? I, I think that is a fair take. I, I think the advantage that we have with specifically GeoTV experiments, so, you know, experiments yeah. on mobilization is, there have been more than 500 of them conducted in different countries, yeah. right? I mean, like most of them coming from the United States, but there have also been quite a few now in the United Kingdom. And that will, you know, like, so for instance, I'm, I'm working on a big meta-analysis project of those field experiments together with Peter John, my, my long-standing co-author at King's College. And, and that should give us a bit of a better idea, for instance, whether effects differ in Europe compared to the United States or whether they differ in the UK compared to the United States, where a lot of our canonical knowledge about this type of campaign interventions, you know, yeah. does does come from. I mean, one thing I would like to add actually is, so when we talked about sequential and and and, and combined interventions, mm. the literature I drew on was mostly GOTV type of literature when it comes to persuasion. So basically trying to change voters' yeah. minds. Most of what has been done so far on the experimental front has been one of basically interactions with with voters. And and it is, I think, perfectly fair to say that it, it is very hard to, to persuade voters. And to achieve that might require more than one intervention over the course yeah. of a campaign. And it's something that 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 I certainly and others uh, work on right now. Yeah. And, and I guess, at least in trying to measure that, there are other sort of angles of attack, as it were, with evidence in terms of looking at overall levels of campaign intensity, whether it's how many contacts voters 
recall having received or how much parties spend in different wards or constituencies. But we should maybe segue from that into that broader question of the relative importance or effectiveness of sort of mobilisation versus persuasion. So the relative importance of getting your supporters out to vote and raising turnout amongst your supporters versus winning over supporters from your <clears throat> from your opponent's camp. And I think that this is quite an important question, not just from a point of view of campaign tactics, but politics more broadly. Now, are you trying to win over in, say, if you're a Labour or Lib Dem person at the moment, are you trying to fire up your own base or are you trying to win over Tories? Those are two quite different political objectives that lead to all sorts of differences in terms of who you think might be best as leader of your party, what your policies might be, as well as where do you go deliver a leaflet on Saturday morning? So in terms of what the evidence you've looked at and you've created yourself can tell us on that, where where would you suspect the balance lies between the relative importance of the two? I think there's an important caveat to mention, which is so our evidence base on GOTV is much larger yeah. than our evidence base on persuasion. Meaning, you know, when I talk about larger, I talk like to five to 10 times larger. So we just know much more about GOTV still than we know about persuasion. So that balance is slowly kind of shifting as well. I would say that, you know, I would be more confident in telling you what works in get out the vote campaigns, yeah. in turning out your own base based on the evidence that I that I know from, you know, also, as you said, you know, evidence that's been collected in, in different places with different campaigns, in different institutional <laughs> settings, in different, you know, in, in, in different types of elections. And there, we, I think we can be fairly confident in saying, you know, the, you know, that, that an intervention that is more personal works better, that door-to-door -door canvassing is probably the most effective single kind of intervention that you can that you can do to get out the vote. So there is a lot of evidence that we have, and we can talk a little bit more about that, mm -hmm. about that later on. When it comes to persuasion, I think we also have fairly good evidence now when it comes to shifting attitudes, mm. right? I mean, so if I want to persuade you about a specific issue, for instance, or about a specific candidate, mm. then we do know, for instance, that, or it appears to be at least from the body of work that has been done in the United States, but for instance, by my colleagues, Josh Cullen, David Brookman, or, you know, also based on the work that I've done in the UK and in, in Germany with co-authors more, you know, like more recently, that the type of conversation that you want to have with voters is a non-judgmental type of conversation, right? I mean, so so the, the, probably the worst you could do is kind of go go and lecture people about, you know, why they should be supporting the Lib Dems or whatever other party. But kind of what what successful interventions have done is to take voters where they are and then either apply a strategy which is called perspective giving or perspective taking and really kind of try to, for instance, share your own story with with a target of, of, of persuasion. I guess that is reflected quite nicely in the success of the campaigns over same-sex marriage, both certainly in the UK and the US and I think more widely, which I always think is the most fascinating example of a successful small p political campaign because fun that is getting at really fundamental values that you know i obviously think that, that my view that same-sex marriage should be legal is the right view i also like to think i'm someone who listens to rational argument and evidence but i would also have to confess i cannot conceive of what piece of evidence anyone could ever show me that would make me change my mind on the idea that same sex marriage should be legal you know that it's it's not really a a topic that's open for rational debate in that sense it's about a deep set sense of value and yet public opinion has moved hugely in a very short period of time it's not just one generation replacing another and it certainly has. my take on it is a big part of that success with same-sex marriage campaigners saying, let's talk about love rather than equality. So let's talk about a value that we know the people we're trying to persuade share, as opposed to a value which might be very passionate and think is crucial, but is not necessarily one that those people were trying to persuade share. So I think it's interesting that you're coming at it from a very different angle. It seems like that sort of experimental evidence is pointing towards that sort of sense of the way you persuade people is by 
uh, even if you disagree with them, finding some common ground on which you can respect their view and then working from that. Yeah, that, that is what we call value-based conversations, actually. And I, I I would entirely share your point here that, you know, what we have seen on, you know, on marriage <laughs> equality happening, not only, you know, in one country, but in, in you know, numer- numerous countries over the last three to 10 years, and, and also kind of the experimental evidence that we have, you know, like that, that's been collected by David Brookman and Josh Collar on that very question, but also on other issues where we thought, you know, we wouldn't be able to move forward, such as abortion, for instance, in the United States. Mm-hmm. They, they do show that on the issues, you you can move people in the direction, you know, like that that you want them to mm-hmm. to travel. So so it, it doesn't mean that we can turn like a staunch opponent of equal marriage into a staunch supporter overnight, but we can move them a little bit yeah. in the direction um, that we would like them to go. Now, I think we also need to mention that success in terms of shifting vote choice, right? I mean, the party you vote for has been more mixed. Mm. There, there's a large study, again, you know, like based in the United States that says actually in general election campaigns, most that was mostly based on Clinton 2016, but not exclusively. The average effect of a one-shot conversation was zero. Uh, what we find based on studies in the UK and in Germany is that we consistently manage to change candidates' vote, candidates' name recognition, and candidates' favorability ratings across contexts. Yeah, but we don't mm-hmm. always manage to convert that into votes. Mm. And I think that could be either because you know these are one or two-shot type of interventions. Or maybe because there is something about the political context where, you know, sometimes we work with parties that haven't done all that well in that specific election where we conducted the intervention. So sometimes I also have the impression that, you know, you can really like change some of those like fundamentals, right? Like candidate evaluations, for instance, but then really to affect vote choice at the national level, level, some other kind of national political factors might kind of kick in. And uh, you might be able to really kind of build on the work that you have done, you know, like the persuasive work that you have done on the ground, um, and then run in open doors to yeah. to some extent if the you know if the national environment kind of works out. But we, I, I do think that we need much more work mm. on the very question, you know, like what then in the end really moves people for to to switch their vote choice. Mm. It reminds me as well. There's a lovely article which I'll include a link to in the show notes by Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> when he was criticizing temperance campaigners in 19th century US for essentially not doing what we've just talked about of sort of taking as a starting position that people who still drank alcohol were evil and awful as opposed to finding common values for used to persuade them but thinking about the tactical element of what we've been talking about you've mentioned that certainly for GOTV and perhaps also for persuasion the more personal the intervention, the more effective it is. Could you unpack a little bit? I mean, is that basically that doorstep canvassing is better than telephone canvassing, is better than leafleting, is better than passing a poster you see in a distance? That's right. I mean, I on on one level, you know, the hierarchy of success or kind of of effectiveness mm-hmm. of different interventions is, is pretty much as you as you described. I mean, when it comes to turning out the vote. Door-to-door contact is superior to telephone contact is superior to to a leaflet is superior is superior to an email. Now there are also less personal methods, though, that do appear, you know, like that have a personal element to them or that are more recognizable. Say, for instance, a text message. You're you're gonna you know you're gonna look at your text message or your WhatsApp if you receive it, and. There's quite a bit of research that has shown that text messages are quite effective at getting out the vote, at reminding people, right? I mean, like of the of the election. They're not as effective as as a door knock, hmm. but they do positively affect turnout. They are much more effective than an email, for instance, which just kind of you know would disappear in your in your email box often or in your spam folder, probably. Now, another thing that I've looked at is, for instance, you could personalize certain types of communication such as letters right i mean often campaigns do send letters to voters and what i've done now both in you know that that goes back to my phd thesis you know like which where did research in southampton itchen uh, back in 2015 
where the candidate back then, Rowena Davis, sent handwritten letters to conservative voters. And that did, you know, like change voting intentions over quite a significant period of time, month to month. I've not, we have now kind of run a study where we sent a combination of handwritten letters and then the candidates did door knocks with the same voters in, in Germany. And we again find that this combination was successful at shifting attitudes and even vote choice towards, towards the candidate. So, and I think what might be really the kind of the, the theory of change really, right? I mean, be, behind behind that. So why would a kind of a handwritten letter work maybe? And I think part of it is is really the effort that is reflected on behalf of the person who wrote the letter. It might also be kind of really the, you know, some, some type of respect that is shown towards the voter that somebody sat down and actually took the time, right? And am I right in thinking that these studies test out the impact of these different interventions rather than the efficiency, by which I mean you might compare, say, one doorstep conversation with one leaflet delivery, mm-hmm. but but what they're not doing is then waiting the results to take into account how much time it takes to do one doorstep conversation versus how many leaflets you could deliver in that context. No, best best practice would be to to do that, you know, like to to provide mm-hmm. some type of you know like cost benefit really yeah. kind of um, analysis of those different of those different methods, and I think the door to door conversation would still be more you know, cost effective than a than a leaflet given on I think there's a book that is actually in the book by by Don Green and Alan Gerber, like Get Out the Water. I think it's now in the fourth or fifth uh, edition. But you know, you're pointing to something which is really which is really important, which is there are some methods that are obviously very scalable. Yeah. I mean you can think about leaflets, but you can think about digital ads, for instance, yeah. right? But where we think that the effects are smaller. I mean, they're they're non-zero for leaflets. Yeah. They, they are positive and they are they're smallish, but they are there, right? For digital ads, we're not so sure, I think. But but the real question is that if they exist hmm. and you can scale them relatively cheaply, then obviously you know, like the overall aggregate impact of it would be much larger. Yeah, and and, that- and for a campaign, the practical decisions often are, you know, there are multiple factors. So one is digital ads require normally unless it's a very large campaign, no more than one person with a relative specialist skill, but they require money. Canvassing requires almost no money. There's a little bit of money to pay for materials and so on, but requires people who are willing to go and knock on the door. Leaflet delivery requires people, but you can do it at all a much wider range of hours of the day and day of the week successfully than you can with canvassing and more people generally. So there's obviously lots of other sort of resource elements to juggle i guess the i will include a link also to the gerber and green book as you say it's an absolutely absolutely fascinating read i think for most places in the uk and obviously the geography and of places means delivery is quicker or slower in some places compared to others and so on but generally speaking you can probably deliver sort of 10 houses for every one house where you could speak to somebody, you know, that's the sort of about the trade-off. And I think that probably points to on balance for most campaigns, if you only were able to do one of the two, you know, the delivery would be the most effective. But as you say, if you're able to do canvassing, absolutely on a like-for-like basis, it seems to be the most effective, which I think probably reflects the... The sort of rule of thumb, as it were, the tra- the the oral traditional rule of thumb per- passed down amongst political campaigners of, well, you can le- win a campaign with leaflets but no canvassing, but you almost never would win a campaign with canvassing but no leaflets. That that sort of the leaflet, as it were, is the bedrock, but it's not on its own the most effective tool. So you need to try to do those those other elements. Do you think that's probably a fair a fair picture of where at least British political campaigns are likely to be? So what we, I think, do observe in the UK is that the few studies that have tested the effectiveness of of leaflets, there's one by Josh Townsley, actually working with the Liberal Democrats Mm. in a local election. There, it does appear to be the case that, you know, like the effect of the leaflet is slightly higher than, Mm. you know, like the average that we know from from the US, but 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 at and the that, same that would time, be because of letterboxes. Sorry, I can't resist. Yeah, point. yeah you know, yeah, but that, just that, for, for listeners who don't right. know that in the US, 
it's illegal to put a political leaflet in someone's letterbox. So you have to sort of leave it in some other way, sort of outside their property. And therefore, I guess particularly, <laughs> I, I don't know if Gerber and Green have ever adjusted for weather, but I can imagine, you know, any election campaign fought when it's rainy, it feels like leafleting in Britain has a big edge over leafleting in the US. So actually, you know, like there, there's an interesting interesting story there. So my, my co-authors, Sharon Chinner and Frederick Ferrier and I, ran a study in a repeat election in Berlin, state election, just in, now in January. And we didn't factor in that most mailboxes would actually be located within apartment buildings. Mm. And so it was very difficult for you know people to actually get access to oh, the apartment right. building in the first place, which is not something we had thought about, uh, given my kind of UK experience. You, cl- you clearly don't do enough leaflet <laughs> delivery. What can I say, Florence? So, so, so you, 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 you see where, you know, it, like... It's, uh, the, that... it's, the, it's the most frustrating moment, I think, for any deliverer is when <laughs> they go up to a big block of flats and you can see all of the letterboxes for all of the flats nicely lined up in the foyer already <laughs> for super speedy. But there's a locked door, a glass door between you and that. That, 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 that would be my apartment, you know, like in uh, in London. Now, uh, one one thing I would say mm. to qualify that is we I would like to have more evidence on that, mm. on that very question, especially in, you know, in a general election or in a by-election. We have just, you know, we have like, a couple of nonpartisan studies in the UK that have shown that. But then again, you know, like I'm, I'm not entirely sure whether nonpartisan, you know, kind of direct mail or, mm. you know, leaflets in that kind of case, the same as, as a partisan leaflet. So it's still a question where I would like to see more, more evidence on, you know, if, if you're right and, you know, a leaflet does, you know, produce across the board kind of, you know, a one percentage point kind of increase, a two percentage point increase in turnout. Then by all means it would be at the aggregate probably you know your one to ten kind of you know i would say rule of thumb i would probably agree with that one yeah. then 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 you would be right but i i, I still think that we actually it would be great to know more about the specific you know the specific size of the effect because it's a big difference if it's like half a percentage point or if it's one percentage point or two percentage points because of how it then scales and and and, and so that's for instance a question where you know, we we should be running more experiments mm-hmm. on and, and, and where it's really easy, right? I mean, like to run more experiments on, given that, you know, it's about sending out really or kind of distributing uh, leaflets in the in the constituency. And, you know, the, now the local elections coming up, obviously, kind of next year and the general election down the road. <laughs> and, and also, <laughs> we don't, or at the same time, we don't know that yet. But, you know, I, I really think that, that, that I wouldn't be quite as confident about that, basically, at what point then then you were right right there. But it's totally plausible. That's that's the case. And I think one of the interesting sort of unexplored questions there is about whether the leaflets can be the same. Because I think that is a respect in which mm-hmm. political marketing and sort of non-political marketing is massively different. And it's not obvious that there's a strong logic or evidence base as to why. By which I mean, if you get a leaflet from your local say pizza takeaway shop and then they you know they may well deliver the same leaflet again a couple of months later and the same leaflet you know in in the marketing world using the same advert you know in leaflet form repeatedly is the norm in it the might be a sign that world, it might be a sign that the venue never changes right <laughs> indeed yeah indeed but but in the political world you know, if you do 10 leaflets in a campaign, it's not that you do the same leaflet 10 times, it's that you do 10 different leaflets. And I think just the default, as it were, is that a political leaflet is always different from the last one. Whilst in the loads of marketing context, the default is, well, we try to get the same thing seen by people more often. And other than it's what everyone does, I don't think there's a, you know, there's a clear at least evidence-based rationale as to why as to why that's different. And I do know a couple of people in the Lib Dems have experimented a little bit with trying delivering the same leaflet to residents a bit later. And it seemed to have, you know, it seemed to work fine in that they didn't have people saying, oh, we've already seen this leaflet from you. Obviously, what's a little bit different about political leaflets outside of election time is you're often reporting on news and say progress on a campaign and therefore in that sense hopefully it is different from your last leaflet because you've got new information and new progress to report on but i do think there is a if you're looking for even more ideas for research projects i think that would be a really interesting experiment about do you really have to artwork quite so many different leaflets or not 
No, look, I, I agree with you. And and there is actually a lot of work going into changing those leaflets, you know, and and if we if we would know the answer to that question, which is something we can totally know, right? I mean, it is a very kind of clearly defined question. There is a method available to kind of to answer it. We could save, you know, or you could save a lot of time. Volunteers could or candidates could change a lot of time, you know, adjusting their leaflet, you know, like from one kind of contact to, to the ne next. And I it's just something which I really think is important that, that this type of testing is being done, right? Mm. Because we might have a hunch and as you just expressed, that you know it might might not really kind of matter, and there, there are good theoretical reasons to think that it wouldn't. Say, for instance, people, you know, they they don't really pay all that much attention to it. It's mostly about kind of recalling who the candidate was, or kind of you know like that the Lib Dems are interested in actually kind of the area, right? I mean, I think it also depends on what what really kind of we think the theory of change is here. So why why do those leaflets actually kind of you know like produce the effects that they do? And that's a different that's a difficult question to answer. But but we can answer the question whether you know the say sending the same leaflet again is more or less effective than sending you know like a different yeah. leaflet it's an answerable question i and i guess in in defense of people with hunches <laughs> i guess the other angle on this <laughs> is that particularly at local elections when you have let's say maybe some wards that a party hasn't really worked at all in previous local elections and then they work one of those wards really hard at the next set of local elections, but they still don't work the other wards, seeing how big, huge the difference in re in results can be between the ward that you've worked and the ones that you haven't. Um, and I think what that gives a clue about is that that overall package of what counts as working a ward is effective. And that's the, that's the bit of evidence that I think I certainly feel most comfortable be, being most bullish about that this overall package of a campaign will work but then when you want to decompose within that and particularly if you're short of resources and not able to do all of that in another ward well what are the bits within that package that are most effective that becomes obviously very difficult to measure particularly if there are interrelated effects so I think a good rule of thumb often the people follow which I think would be hard to do to measure an experiment, possible but hard, is that you're often better off warming up people with a few leaflets before you start canvassing, because that might establish a bit of credibility, interest in what you're about, willingness of people to talk on the doorstep. But again, I can imagine there are possible ways of, you know, even for that, of doing an experiment of, you know, leaflet one week, canvas the next week for half the people and the other way around, maybe for the other half. Absolutely. It's, it's what we did actually in, in Berlin now. So we had one condition, there was a persuasion type of experiment where we had a candidate either, you know, only sending a machine written letter, followed by a canvas, or just sending the letter. And what we what we find is that the combined condition was, you know, outperforming the the letter on the condition in this in this instance. So we didn't we, we didn't separately assign a canvas because the sample in the end was too small. But but these are ex exactly the type of experiments that we we should be conducting going forward, right? I mean, like so, you know, having a sequence of treatments and different combinations of different methods of contact, especially if we want to kind of look at the question of of, of persuasion, whether we we're able actually to turn yeah. you know supporters like say, say conservatives in the blue wall uh, to 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 kind of you know like apply to to, to probably what 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 kind of listeners might be thinking about and then turning out those voters down the road right and, and and that's also some one point where i i sometimes don't fully get that you know persuasion and ngo tv are are seen as you know almost kind of competing you know methods obviously you know there there is a there are limited resources as we've already kind of talked about both in time and in money unless you know you run a kind of us presidential campaign you know the fewest of us kind of are but you know on the one hand they happen at different times so you know geotv mostly happens you know the week before the election maybe two weeks out you you, you can start persuasion happens you know like six months out or month out now obviously i, th I think where the kind of the, the perceived you know almost kind of trade-off lies is in voter IDing yeah. versus persuasion where people think, you know, if I kind of, if I try to win over voter, I can't at the same time kind of collect voter ID for, for GeoTV afterwards. Maybe if I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but but I, I think that's where, 
where campaigns sometimes perceive there to be some type of, you know... Yeah, I, I guess the trade-off is often seen just in terms of what the nature of your doorstep conversation is. Are you trying to canvas really quickly, so get the bit of data and bugger off to the next doorstep? Or are you trying to get into long conversations? And obviously, which of the two you're doing will then have an impact on what your opener, opening line of conversation is on the doorstep? And and so on. So I, I think I think they're quite often seen as sort of alternative tactics, rather than if you've done one that you can't then go back the next week and do the other, as it were. No, I I agree with that. But I think there's been very little done in terms of you know like the second you know in, in terms of really trying to you know to to change people's vote you know choice down down the road. And I'm not saying, and I think there's often a misunderstanding if I talk about persuasion too. To campaigns they they really think that i'm going to kind of go and lecture them about kind of some you know some footnote in 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 the party program or something but but that's not really kind of what these type of strategies are are about at all i i do think you know and i was quite puzzled actually at the beginning when i started evaluating campaigns in the uk that that people would kind of have these type of tools that conversations and they would be so so so, so who who are you likely to vote for you know like at the general election and then if somebody would answer conservative they would be oh sorry you know and then they would kind of you know you know, you know kind of go on where i thought that you know some follow-up to that conversation at that point might actually be beneficial and, and there's a lot of work that we have done you know with campaigns where we've targeted supporters of other parties mostly for GOTV purposes but often this type of conversations you know we 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 did script them to kind of continue, even if you know, like the person would kind of support another party. And we have very little evidence that it would backfire. And mm. there's just like, you know, and in, in all the kind of persuasion experiments that that I know of, there is just very, very little kind of backfiring going on. The worst I think is no effect. It might be not effective. Um although I, I think, guess there's the opportunity cost of the time, even if you have a little bit of effect is. on them, it's uh, absolutely the time taken away from getting to the next doorstep isn't it absolutely so, so so it's this entire kind of you know question about kind of the intensity oh. of of a specific kind of uh, treatment and and the quantity right mm -hmm. i mean like that you economists would talk about the intensive and ex extensive mm -hmm. margin of what you do and i think we can only kind of really address that that you know that question kind of thoroughly or robustly if we know what the effect of that kind of longer conversation is because it's more expensive, it's more costly to conduct, as you said, right? That type of conversation is going to take you not kind of two or three minutes. It's going to take you maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And and the type of evidence we have on, on that in the UK is mostly kind of anecdotal. There was some work being done, you know, by, by Labour and Corbyn in the 2019 election. And I feel partially because that project was unsuccessful or failed, you know, spectacularly therefore you know we also think that everything that that campaign did at the kind of micro level right i mean probably didn't work and yeah. i'm i'm not entirely confident that that's the case I, I i think our kind of my my kind of my opinion on that is that we don't know because yeah. i to the best of my knowledge that was not evaluated you know kind of using a randomized experiment again we have some anecdotal kind of evidence you know and, and that could go kind of either way i think but but again, I would, I would. It's just a question, but I would like to see more kind of, you know, more evidence being collected. There's, there's a bit more parties. from the US on. I think what deep canvassing is the phrase that, at least for a little while, was the right sort of trendy, trendy new thing in Democrat campaigning. And the thing, and I'll include a link in the show notes to a piece about this. The thing that struck me from the evidence, even the strong proponents of deep canvassing in the US were showing was that once you sort of did the maths of well okay how many conversations do you need to have how many people is that going to require and it, it just it didn't seem to scale into anything like a logistically credible sort of scale of campaign that might you know make a significant difference on the election result that the amount of time taken to persuade somebody and therefore, the number of people and you would have to have, and the number of conversations you would have to have, just didn't seem to add up to a sort of you know election-winning combination. But nonetheless, you know, obviously, the evidence definitely was that those deep canvassing conversations could sway people, even on quite strongly held political points. The problem was the the the, the opportunity cost compared to other campaign tactics. 
Yeah, I think I think there are two two things I would would add to that, which is first that you know that that that, that does assume that you know we can sway them in another way mm. by you know yeah. sending out a combination of leaflets, for instance. And I I still think there is. I would like to see more evidence that that is actually true. And the the second point really being that, you know, the evidence that we have from the US on uh, on attitudinal kind of changes might actually not translate one-to-one -to, -one to kind of changing vote choice mm. that, that I've mentioned before, right? And again, there, you know, I would I would like to see more on, you know, like actually converting this type of you know kind of conversations into into votes. There's just like a, th a third kind of point I, I I just remembered, which is that you know it also very much depends, you know, what type of seats you find yourself fighting for, right? I mean, like, so if I'm in a very highly marginal seat, mm -hmm. say you know, and and the majority you know of my opponent is 200 votes, mm -hmm. you know, look, why not go for you know the more expensive method if it's all about kind of winning over that one marginal voter in the end or that kind of you know those hundred marginal voters that's a different you know beast than trying to you know overturn a fifteen thousand vote majority right i mean that say you're trying to do in some of the by-elections there obviously you're not you're very likely not gonna get at the kind of you know conversion rate that you have to get at simply by doing this this type of high intensity type of canvassing that that some people have advocated for i think given how polarized politics is in the us compared to the uk i think generally it's plausible that any election tactic may well have a greater impact in the uk than it does in the us and in a sense that's perhaps a cause for optimism for any campaigner in britain looking at evidence from the US that whatever works in the US is probably likely to be even more effective here in the UK. Yeah, that's right. I, I think the levels of volatility that, that have been really kind of well documented by the British election studies team, you know, they, they would suggest uh, to me that vote switching is happening. We've certainly seen that in some of the by-election victories that, that the Lib Dems yeah. have, for instance, pocketed as of late. And, and that might suggest, right, I mean, that strategies aimed at vote switching might be more successful than what we would you know kind of usually think of in in a in a polarized system i mean the uk is also polarized right i mean but in a more stable kind of two-party system like the like the us as you as you have suggested and you know it's also kind of a big question for the liberal democrats i think because you can't win you know by just mobilizing you can't win some of the seats that you're trying to win at the moment by just mobilizing your base. Yeah. There needs to be vote switching, namely from, you know, obviously also from some Labour voters, but but also from, you know, from conservatives actually in the blue wall going on here. And and so thinking about kind of strategies that would that would get you there or, or testing some of those strategies right now, because you know, now is not the general election. Now is actually a good time to test trial and adapt. I think would be beneficial for 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 then kind of you know next year. And I guess the sort of two big conclusions from what we've talking about is that the more personal the intervention, the more effective it is, and that there generally is an additive effect. So doing more ends up with a bigger overall impact. Is Are there any other particular sort of big picture conclusions on a par with them that you'd sort of draw from either the experiments that you've done or the research experiments that others have done? Yeah, certainly. I I think one one aspect we haven't really talked about is the social aspect of voting. Mm. So I've done quite a bit of work on how voter contact spills over within the family. You know, if I mm. contact one household member, that will actually affect the turnout of the other household member as well. And we have to take that into account, right? I mean, like if we if we look at the overall effectiveness, right? I mean, of one single door knock it will likely affect also other people within that within that household we've also done a bit of work on how campaigns diffuse within neighborhoods again so we have few we have less evidence on neighborhood type of mobilization than we have on family-based mobilization i'm fairly confident that you know a door knock will affect household members i'm somewhat confident that it affects the turnout 
of your neighbors or of close neighbors, people who live next door. And, and, and I think this really speaks to the social nature of politics. Mm. I mean, we, we usually, we value social norms, right? I mean, we value what others do in politics. There is, especially if you look at politics now, and we have talked about the kind of the big changes going on in, 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 in UK politics, but not only in the UK. And, and some of the kind of the big shifts that we have seen are to some extent only explainable if people adapt their behaviors to the behaviors of others. Right? I mean, if, if they see that their friends are, you know, voting for a specific mm -hmm. party, for, theoretically speaking, they should be more likely to do so as well. And that um, implies that window poster campaigns, which obviously are very hard to do a randomized field trial on you can't you know get half the people in the street to not look at other people's windows for example but that suggests that window poster campaigns have a have an impact they're certainly a plausible sort of theory behind therefore the value of people seeing window poster campaigns because that's a, another version of that socialization effect yeah i i i would say that's perfectly perfectly right to to expect that window posters would have a an effect on, on people's perception of support for that party within that neighborhood. And, and and there are quite a few studies, not on political parties, but on other type of questions, that we do adjust our behaviors to, you know, to kind of our perception of how many other people in our relevant kind of social circle, you know, support that very issue or that very party. Yeah. So so in that kind of sense, I would uh, I would expect that to happen. Where I disagree with you though is that it's impossible to test it. I, I do think it's difficult. It's mm. it's really hard. But you could imagine a, a experiment where you, you know, treat different villages or different neighborhoods at different times. And there's that classic 1970s study, isn't there, from I can't I think it was Glasgow, certainly somewhere in Scotland where it was David Denver, I think, took two Sorry. two identical sort of ta council tower blocks. So it was a pair of sort of skyscrapers built right next to each other. And he got the Labour Party to campaign in one and not campaign in the other. And that provided it, it, you know, almost too... your perfect field experiments. So you could try doing something like that. So it's, it's to my knowledge, the first GOTV experiment that has, has been done in, in, in Britain. So, you know, huge it's credit to, to 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 David there for for really pulling that off you know mm. in the you know in the 70s but it's not an ideal experiment to the extent where you know it's two two tower blocks mm. right so there there's very little kind of you know these are very few units in that in that experiment so if we were to kind of to no to take nothing away from that mm. experiment you know like which was superb for 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 its time but if i were to run that again then obviously i would i would try to you know include more units and, and you could imagine well, that's that, the good thing uh, is power blocks have got a lot bigger so you know, <laughs> easier to replicate now that's right but even imagine you know like now you're targeting kind of you know you the lip dems are uh, are targeting uh you know also more, more rural areas right mm. and, and there are you know like different villages mm. and you, you'd be able to yeah. put up you know posters on monday in one village and yeah. on wednesday or the week after in another village and then you know we could have some type of panel study in the field that would measure you know exactly whether that mechanism that I was thinking about that people update their perception of support in that you know kind of in that in that area um whether that was ongoing and whether it would affect voting intentions so yeah. I think it's it's something that can be studied but it's it's a difficult not to to crack really yeah. so just before we wrap up I can't resist asking you you know based on all of this sort of research if there was one sort of top piece of advice about campaigning you would give the Liberal Democrats, or indeed insert any other party name as a good sort of impartial academic, if you wish. But what would the sort of the top bit of, particularly because I know from you know your your work, you're quite familiar with you know Lib Dem campaigning. Is but is, so is there any particular piece of advice that you would say? Oh, this is something where the research evidence suggests you should do more of this, or you should do you know you might want to think doing this thing differently, or why on earth do you do that other weird thing you do? So I, I I think that will not come as much really of a surprise given you know our conversation, mm. but I would like the party or you know really all parties in the UK to test more, you know test really you know and, and to really get into this kind of test trial and adapt model, 
right? I mean, like where where you do large scale testing, kind of in that can be in kind of lower saliency contexts, if 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 you want to, you know, in in local elections further out from a campaign, to to really trial some of you know some of those really methods and messages that 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 you have really perfected over you know over time but i think you know really collecting that evidence base is something that that can be done and you know you'd certainly find lots of academics you know that that would be eager to to work with you not not only the dems as you said but all all political parties really and i think it's something that that has an added really an added benefit to to kind of, you know, like party strategy, because there are certain questions, right? I mean, that, that we have now identified, right? Also in, in in our conversation, you know, does, you know, does it matter whether we send the same, out the same message on our leaflet? Does it matter if we send five or 10 leaflets? Does it matter whether we combine different, you know, kind of strategies with each other? And I think these are questions that are really answerable mm. in, in, in that kind of sense. So, so I would just encourage kind of, you know, you know, Lib Dem central office or constituency campaigns to, to not be afraid of really, of, of testing their assumptions in that, 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 that kind of case. I think that would be my, my, really my, my, my broad message. And, 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 and also to know that, you know, in, in academia, you, you'd have a partner there, right? I mean, like to, to, to really kind of, because we, we want to know about the science of, of campaigning. I think that's really important. Mm. And maybe as a, a second point, maybe a bit also more, more kind of flip them specific point that I've alluded to already before. So if it was about me, I would probably kind of include a little follow-up, persuasive follow-up to, you know, order ID type of conversations in the case where somebody kind of would indicate that they might maybe be open, you know, like to supporting the Liberal Democrats, but they are not quite there yet. And, you know, and and to just kind of try maybe having those conversations maybe not in the most kind of high stakes of context, right? I mean, but but see how kind of volunteers are actually doing with this type of conversations. And, and you know, if you can evaluate them, the better, obviously. But I think that would be, yeah, that would be the two points, I think. Excellent. I'd Thank like you for that. We, we do have a, a campaign innovation fund that has funded some sort of small scale field experiments in the past. And you'll be glad to know the results were very much in line with the sorts of academic, you know, published academic results and that you'll have you'll have seen although given that we were doing these sorts of things you know uh, often with relatively little experience of doing such field experiments i guess there may have been a little bit of luck in that as well but definitely i think that was that was a very sort of fruitful thing and certainly i hope that we can continue to do more of that sort of research so i will include in the show notes follow up links to lots of things that we've discussed including that Gerber and Green book, which can sometimes be frustratingly difficult to get hold of in Britain, but is really well worth the read. I think it has aged, even the original edition has aged extremely well. And as you say, I think it's now on its fourth edition. People can also find uh, Florian on Twitter at Florian Fours, which is Florian F-O-O-S. And you can find me on Twitter at Mark Pack and this podcast at Bar Chart Podcast. You can even now find me on threads at Mark uk so look out in the show notes for those follow-up links and if you like listening please do tell others about this podcast and give it a rating or review in your favorite podcast app thank you everyone for listening mm-hmm.